Amen. I invite you to remain standing for our scripture this morning, which comes to us out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We read verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as Scripture is read, as Word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. Today we begin our uh, worship series for Advent entitled The Journey, Walking the Road to Bethlehem. And it is a, a worship series based on the study of the same name written by Reverend Adam Hamilton. And uh, it's, an, it's an older study that he's done, and uh, it's the, actually the 10th anniversary of that study, and so I felt it was time to revive it a little bit for us as, as we move through this season of Advent. So I hope you will enjoy uh, this uh, worship series during the next few weeks of Advent. It's one of the greatest stories ever told. For over 2,000 years, a story has been told and retold and retold. People all over the world, from all walks of life, whether, whether religious or not, uh, pump the brakes a little on life and take in the majesty of Christmas. Norman Vincent Peale even was quoted once saying, Christmas waves a magic wand over this world, and behold, everything is softer and more beautiful. You know, most people know at least a little something about this story. From, from the cast of, of characters all the way to the manger in Bethlehem, and, and yet despite hearing the story again and again every year, how many of us fully grasp its riches? 
there is so much more depth to this story than we realize. There are details that we just get to skim the surface of each year. And there are other details that we may even miss entirely. And as is the case with me each and every year, you're bound to hear something in the details of this series and in this season that reshapes the picture of this story for you. The purpose, then, of this series in this time and in this year is, is to walk the path of this story together and to explore Jesus' birth with fresh eyes and with fresh ears, all in an effort to come to a deeper understanding of this story that we hold so sacred. And to better see what the details can mean for our lives and for God's will for our lives today, just as they did so 2,000 plus years ago. So, for the sake of this message today, we're going to ask several questions and explore some of the details as we begin and we talk about Mary of Nazareth. So the first question then is, why Nazareth? Why this place? Why this village? Well, it's because the story that we hold so sacred begins in the least likely of places and as you'll see later, it ends in the least likely of places. Nazareth is a small town with, with, with no influence, no wealth, and hardly any population. In the time of Mary, it's, it's estimated that Nazareth had between 100 and 400 people living there. However, the, the fact that this town is where it all starts speaks to the character of God. The name Nazareth itself comes from the Hebrew word netzer, which means a branch or a shoot. Where did we hear that already today? Uh, the prophet Isaiah. Why would the people who founded this village have called it the branch? Well, much of the Old Testament was, was written predicting or, or in response to the destruction of Israel. The prophets, in speaking about this destruction, used the metaphor of Israel being like a tree that had been cut down, but which would sprout up again. This can be seen in the prophet Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 where, where we read, A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse and a branch shall come out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The name Nazareth was a promise of hope. 
Now, they may have chosen this name as, as a way of expressing hope that, that God would, would once again restore Israel. Or in the words of Isaiah, that it was a sign that there was no hopeless causes with God. How many of us can say amen to that? There are no hopeless causes with God. You know, it is as if they were saying, we believe there is always hope and that God will always deliver us. But why this town? So the name is there. So the symbology is there. But why this town? Why not just down the road a few miles in the very wealthy and rich town of Sepphoris? Sepphoris was, was wealthy and, 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 and luxurious. and In fact, most people uh, who lived in Nazareth, like Joseph, were, um, were workers who would travel to Sepphoris almost daily, most likely, to work for people there. This setting of Nazareth tells us that God looks for the meek and the humble to use for God's greatest purposes. God looks to the meek and the humble to use for his greatest purposes. God chooses the least likely to accomplish his most important work. God chooses people in bondage to be his chosen people. God called the youngest of Jesse's shepherding sons, David, to become Israel's greatest king. Hear what Paul tells the Christians in Corinth out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. So why Nazareth? God wanted to show the world that even those considered the least of all people can accomplish the greatest of things. Somebody said amen. Amen. So we've answered then the question, why Nazareth? And now let's ask the question, why Mary? Why Mary? Her family was likely very uneducated, very poor. They may have even been servants to some of the people who lived in Sepphoris. But the one thing that separated Mary's family was that they were not people who believed the world revolved around them. They walked humbly with their God. And God noticed. Mary would have been around 13 in the time when the angel appeared to her out of today's scripture. Possibly while she was at the spring where she was collecting water And the angel, the messenger, said to her, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. Many other translations and popular versions of this particular uh, uh, message to her has been translated like this, and perhaps it's more appropriate, perhaps you know it like this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. This phrase, full of grace, is a, is a translation of one Greek word, kekahachamene. Everybody say that with me. Kekahachatomene. Are you not even going to try it? Come on. Kekahachatomene. Okay, no takers. That's okay. Yes, I did practice it before, uh, before today. The Greek word literally means one who has been filled with grace. But there's a word, a subword in this larger phrase that stands out to us. It's the, the phrase shari or kari, which means grace. Add it together, you have one filled with grace. The word shari appears 170 times in the New Testament. And it is the same translation of the word grace that is central to the gospel of Christianity for us today. Its meaning actually uh, changes depending on the context a little. Paul begins most letters with grace and peace to you. Many times we end service with the phrase, peace be with you, grace go with you. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you. It's the same word, grace. We stand in God's grace. We live by God's grace. We are saved by God's grace. And we approach God in times of need asking for God's grace. But what does it exactly mean, and why is grace so important to us during Advent and Christmas? It's because grace is God's kindness. Grace is God's love. Grace is God's care. Grace is God's work on our behalf. Grace is God's blessing. Grace is God's gift. Grace is God's goodness. And grace is God's salvation. But it, it is actually more than that for you see. It is all of these things together. And here's the kicker. Even though none of us deserve them. What does this tell us about God's character? That God is good. That God is good. And God is kind. And God is loving. God is compassionate. And God desires good for God's children. Grace is at the center of what God was doing at Christmas. Grace is at the very center of what God was doing at Christmas the child to be born of Mary would embody the incarnate grace of God. His message would be the message of grace. His life would demonstrate grace to all people. The people here had been taught that God's judgment and wrath was upon them. But Jesus came to show that God is love, that God is mercy. And that God was offering this as a gift to all of us. Jesus 
was the outward and visible embodiment of the inward and spiritual grace of God. You know, this is how we describe our sacraments in the life of the United Methodist Church. It's how we describe the most sacred things that we do in the church. I think it's safe to say that Jesus is the greatest and most sacred thing God has ever done for us or that will ever be done for us again. Hear this if you hear nothing else today. Remember this phrase. There is power in the grace of God. Wonder-working power in the grace of God. When you show kindness, when you show compassion, when you show goodness or love to the least deserving, grace has the power to transform hearts. Grace has the power to heal broken relationships. And grace has the power, the only power to reconcile humanity. We won't get there without grace. Grace transforms the one who receives it. But here's the coolest part to me. Grace transforms the one who gives it. Have you ever noticed that before? Grace also transforms the one who gives it. It becomes a way of life. Grace becomes a lifestyle. It becomes part of who we are. So the question is, why Mary? Her lifestyle was one that was full of grace. And as part of this lifestyle, her response to uh, this would be one that I find to be perhaps the most difficult thing that could have ever been said. She didn't say, God, not me. She didn't say, choose someone else, I cannot carry this burden. Mary's response is the response that we should all be looking to say to God every day. Here am I. Use me according to your will. So then we ask quickly the question, why the virgin birth? Why, why a virgin birth? you ever wonder that? This is perhaps the simplest question to, to answer. The, to show that God's very spirit had entered humanity. To show that it was truly the inward spirit of God that entered all of us. That Jesus was more than just a son of God but he was distinctively the Son of God. What does all this say then about the character of God? What does this say about the one who we call Father? What does this say about the one who had all this grace for us? And what does the story of Mary of Nazareth say about the character of God today? It says that God can. It says that God will and God has used anyone 
from any place in any situation to spread the greatest news humanity has ever heard that the gift of God's grace is available to all. As we prepare our hearts for Christmas, we remember the little town of, Na- of Nazareth. We remember God's choice of a young woman from this humble village through whom he would do his greatest work. This season brings us an invitation similar to the messenger or the angel, uh, the one that, that was brought to Mary. Part of the invitation of Advent is to offer ourselves wholly to God, at, just as Mary did. Christmas is not about how much we buy or what we eat or who we visit. It's about our willingness to say to God what Mary said. Here I am, Lord. Use me according to your will. In the best way that you see fit, Use me this day to spread the grace, the gift freely given to all people in all circumstances and all situations. That is what this season is all about. And this is the gospel message of Mary of Nazareth. Glory be to the Father, Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.